By now, I'm sure that many of you have made your New Year's resolutions and are well on your way to either keeping them or abandoning them. One of the reasons New Year resolutions are so hard to keep is because they deal with things that are on the periphery of our lives. Things like losing weight, curbing bad habits, or creating new and better habits. I believe that when we get right down to doing the things that really matter in life, God will give us the ability and the resolve to do them. Doing things like making a stronger and deeper commitment to God and worshiping Him more frequently, by reading the Bible, by engaging in a consistent life of prayer, and by committing ourselves to, to pointing other people to Jesus Christ. In fact, I'll be audacious enough to suggest that if we commit to pursuing that goal with vigor and enthusiasm, our lives have the, the possibility of affecting the course of human history. I make that bold assertion because such was the case for a man by the name of Edward Kimball. Kimball was a shy and timid man. One day he met an illiterate 18-year-old shoe salesman who had attended his Bible school class or Sunday, Sunday school class at a church that he went to in Boston. God had placed it upon Kimball's heart to tell him about Jesus. So one day, Kimball walked over to the shoe store where the young man worked. When he entered the store, he found the young man stocking the shelves with shoes. Later, he would recall that he nervously stammered out a few words about how God loved him and about how Jesus Christ had died to take away his sins. And he thought to himself, what a feeble evangelistic approach I fumbled that one. But God used his witness <clears throat> in such a powerful way that this young man was converted to Christ and he gave his heart and life over to Jesus Christ. That young shoe salesman was Dwight L. Moody, who went on to become one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the world. Moody's ministry had an enormous impact, not only in the United States, but also in Great Britain. The gospel of Jesus Christ through the Moody Institute was traveled all over the world and, and converted millions of people all around the globe. And it began, it began when a shy, timid Christian man named Edward Kimball introduced a once illiterate unbeliever to Jesus Christ. And in more ways than we will ever know, it changed the history of the world. God can also use us in the very same way. You see, God put us here for a purpose. God placed his hand upon us already in the waters of baptism. And it was there that he signed and sealed us through the power of the Holy Spirit with an indelible mark the mark of the cross on each one of our foreheads. In our baptism, we become a child of God. And in that rebirth, God empowers us to serve Him throughout our lives. This very day, God is telling each one of us that He loves us as though there were only one of us to love. 
You may not realize this, but God's purpose for your very existence, for your very existence, is very similar to that of John the Baptist, because God chooses people for an end that is greater than themselves. God chose John the Baptist for a purpose greater than himself. John said, I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel, and I would add, to the entire world. The purpose of John's life was to introduce people to Jesus Christ, and so is ours. But in order to do that, we need to have a plan, a good plan. And today's gospel provides us with just such a plan. The plan is a very simple one. It's one that can be described in three very simple words. <clears throat> See, show, and share. See, show, and share. First, notice John sees Jesus. Second, he shows Jesus to others. And third, he shares his own experience with Jesus to others. Now that same pattern gets repeated a couple of days later when Andrew, another one of John's disciples, sees Jesus. And they follow him. Then Andrew shows Jesus to his brother Simon. And then he shares with Simon his own experience of Jesus. The heart of this dynamic, which we call evangelism, sharing, proclaiming, announcing, gossiping the gospel, the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead, can only happen, can only happen when we become cognizant of what God is doing in our own lives and sharing that with others by inviting them to come and see Jesus for themselves. So why is it that we find this such a difficult thing to do? Why are we so timid and bashful and afraid to share the good news of God's love with other people? Well, I believe that it may be that we just haven't seen God at work in our lives. Think about this. How have you personally experienced Christ at work in your life? How have you seen God in action in your life? If you don't have an answer to those questions, then I have to say that it would be very difficult for you to share with someone else an experience that you yourself had not had. It'd be like attempting to describe what the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or the Grand Tetons were like without ever having been there or without ever having seen them. John saw Jesus and he openly declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's quite a remarkable statement, isn't it? John had experienced something that his disciples had not. And he was eager to tell them about it because he wanted them to have the same experience that he had had. So John told them, what he had seen, and what he had experienced. I saw the Spirit of God descend as a dove from heaven, and it remained on Jesus. 
I have seen and I have borne witness to the fact that he is the Son of God. He saw him with his own two eyes. And instantly, the light went on in his mind and he recognized that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the one he'd been waiting for, the one he'd been announcing, the one he'd been preparing many, many people to meet. John refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But how did Jesus go about doing that? Taking away the sin of the world, that is. He did that by taking all of our sins, that is, all of those things that we've done that God has forbidden us to do, and all of those things that God requires us to do that we have failed to do, and by taking all of those faults, all of those wrongs into himself and bearing the, the full weight of God's wrath for those sins, along with the just penalty that all of us should have had to pay for committing those sins, God accepted Jesus' death on the cross as payment in full. Payment in full for all of our sins as our substitute, a death we should have died as a consequence of our sins. In his first epistle, Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is the Savior that each and every one of us needs. There's no other way, no other way for our sin-broken relationship with God to be restored. If we truly want to see God at work in our daily lives, then first of all, we need to acknowledge our sin and we need to realize our desperate need for that forgiveness that Jesus alone can give through his blood shed on the cross. That's what washes away all of our sins. Now, here's something for you to think about. When John's disciples first meet Jesus, he asks them this one question. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? It's a simple yet profound question, which means a lot more, did you lose something? Can I help you find it? No, what Jesus is asking is, what are you really looking for? What are you searching for to satisfy your soul's deepest longing and deepest desire? And he's still asking us that very same question this day. He still wants to know our answer. Because truth be known, we're really good at looking for all the wrong answers in all the wrong places. When Jesus asks John's disciples, what are you looking for? They come face to face with Jesus, and all of a sudden, it dawns on them that what they've really been seeking is the man who is standing right there in front of them. And the only response they can come up with is, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? What a fascinating question. 
And once again, the question means much more than, what's your current address, Jesus? What they're really asking is, teacher, is there any room for us in your life? Do you have time for us? Will you teach us? Because what we're looking for is something we don't have. And we can't seem to find it on our own. Something solid. Something we can devote our entire life to. In fact, we'd like to spend every moment of every day in your presence. Would you allow us to do that? And how does Jesus answer that question? He simply says, come and see. Come and see. And with that one simple statement, Jesus immediately invites them into his life. When Jesus says, come and see, notice. Notice what they didn't say. They didn't say, sorry, I'm too busy. I can only stay for a minute. If you were to ask Jesus, where are you staying? And he replied, come and see. What would your response be? Would it be, I'd love to stay, but I really can't. I don't have the time. My plate is too full. I've got so much to accomplish today, I know I'll never get it done. I'll get back to you soon. I'll try to stay a little longer the next time. See you later. Got to run. Or, like John's disciples, would you ask him if you could come and stay with him, be taught by him, and learn from him? Would you be ready to follow him and become one of his disciples and spend as much time in his presence as you possibly could? We know we often hear people talking about inviting Jesus into their hearts and their lives and making him a part of their life. But what if we turn that statement around and began to realize that it's Jesus who wants us to become a part of his life? His invitation for us is to come and see. Come and see. It's really an invitation to enter into his presence by regularly communicating with him through prayer, by hearing him speak to us through his holy word, and by receiving him into ourselves through partaking of the sacred mysteries of his body and blood so that he may dwell in us and we in him. Did you notice that right after Andrew had seen Jesus, he went looking for his brother Simon to show him Jesus and then to share with him what he'd experienced with Jesus? There it is again. See, show, and share. A simple plan. He told Simon, we have found the Messiah, the Christ, and the instant Jesus met Simon, what happened? He gave him a new name. Cephas, Peter, or as the Greek says, Petros, meaning the rock. Jesus gives each one of us a new name the moment we meet him as well. Already in the waters of baptism, we receive the name beloved and a child of God. John reminds us of our new identity when he writes in his first epistle, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. 
When Jesus renamed Simon, he was indicating that Peter's new mission in life would, to, would be to be a, an example, a rock-solid example of the kind of faith that Jesus Christ wants his church built upon. When Jesus calls us to follow him, we receive a new name as well. Perhaps your new name is servant, leader, healer, teacher, prayer warrior, or hospitality giver. Maybe it's greeter, usher, lay reader, acolyte, or singer. Perhaps it's reconciler, counselor, or encourager. Or it could even be the compassionate one, visitor of the sick, the lonely, the hurting, the despairing, comforter of the grieving. It might even be evangelist or the one who gives liberally of their resources so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be proclaimed to all the world through this place. Think about it. At one point in time, this place, this steeple was a lighthouse to the ships coming in on the St. Philip's Strait. It's still a lighthouse to Charleston. And more than that, it's a lighthouse to the world. In a couple of weeks, this parish is going to be sponsoring mere Anglicanism. Hundreds and hundreds of people will be coming here from all over the world. And what will they be hearing? The gospel of Jesus Christ here in St. Philip's Church. Whatever your new name may be, whatever your gift or talent may be, Jesus is inviting you to live into that new name and that new identity in a very, very specific way. Because following Jesus and entering into a lifelong commitment to become a part of Christ's life is the only way you'll ever fulfill that deep inner yearning and longing that's gnawing at you. A longing you might not even be able to name, but it's there deep inside of you Nonetheless, today Jesus is asking us this one question. What are you looking for? What are you looking for in life? Are you looking for grace and forgiveness? Are you looking for peace and contentment? For true joy and a life that is fulfilled? For a new purpose and new meaning in your life? Are you looking for a deeper and more abiding relationship with God, the God who knows you best and loves you still, who created you just the way you are so that he could love you and redeem you? Well, if you are, if that's what you're looking for, then I'm here to tell you that you'll find all of that, every bit of that in Jesus Christ. When he says to us, come and see, he's actually inviting us into his life and enlisting us to, to show other people who he is and to share with them what we have experienced with him and in him. The story is told that while walking down Michigan Avenue in Chicago one day, Dwight L. Moody greeted a complete stranger and said to him, Sir, are you a Christian? The man gruffly responded, Excuse me, would you please mind your own business? 
To which Moody replied, but this is my business. This is my business. So today, today I want to place a challenge before each and every one of you. The challenge is this. Over the course of the next 350 days, that's the rest of this year, I'm going to ask you to find just one person, just one, someone who's near to you, someone to whom you can say in your own words and in your own way, there's someone I want you to meet. Come with me and see him. His name is Jesus. He loves you. In fact, he gave his very life for you because you needed that. He wants you to become one of his followers, and if you do, if you do, he'll open up a whole new way of life for you. He'll give your life a whole new purpose and meaning. He will give you an abundant life through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. So come with me, and I'll show you him, and I'll share with you just what he's done for me. If you will take up that challenge, then I promise you that just like Edward Kimball, you could very well be changing the course of human history and our world would become a far better place because you, you introduced another person to Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and grant us the power, the conviction, the courage, and the resolve to accept this challenge, to introduce another person to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.